Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, which should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. And we welcome you to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yellen. Now, prostate cancer is the second most frequent cancer in men worldwide after lung cancer. Around 60% of all cases occur in men over the age of 65. And I read a number of years ago that at once you're over the age of 80, about uh, 90% of men have some sort of prostate issue. In the years we've been doing this, Corey and I, we've interviewed a number of men who've used cannabis oil to successfully keep their prostate cancer in check, and some even eradicated it. Today we're talking to a woman who has used cannabis oil to deal with her husband's prostate cancer that added years to his life. And joining us from Washington State is our good friend, Lynn Putnam. Lynn, how are you doing? Good morning, Ian. I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Lynn, take us back to the time your husband was diagnosed with prostate cancer and the diagnosis he was given. Yeah, his was very strange because he had no symptoms um, of the prostate cancer. Um, A lot of times men will have um, an issue with urine, you know, and, and all that good stuff. But he didn't have any, like anything like that. What he did have was his right leg was becoming paralyzed and he couldn't lift it, physically lift it, you know, off the ground, getting into the car or, you know, trying to put clothes on. He had to actually lift it, physically lift it with his hand. And so he eventually went to um, the doctor who referred him to uh, a spine specialist who was a sports specialist. And they said, well, Let's see, last year you were diagnosed with um, degenerative disc disease. So let's do some physical therapy and see if we can fix that. Well, the physical therapy wasn't working. It was actually making it worse. And so this young kid that was doing his physical therapy said, give me a minute, I want to try something. He came back with a stethoscope and he tested both sides of his belly button And he said, you have an aortic pulse on both sides. You shouldn't have that. So they sent him for an MRI and they found this huge tumor in his lower back that was strangling his spinal cord, which was causing the paralysis. Mm. So they did a biopsy and all that good stuff. And they decided they said it's cancer. So he immediately, you know, started, you know, into the the treatment, going for all the scans, the blood work, all that good stuff. And they said he was not a candidate for surgery, but we're going to have, we're going to do a nuclear bone scan and see what's, you know, going on. Well, when they did the scan, he lit up like a Christmas tree. It was in his jaw, his neck, his collarbone, his ribs, all down his spine, his hips, his sacrum. And the technician said, um, you need to go and make an appointment with your doctor now. So they got him an appointment and a few days later and they said, you have approximately maybe a year 
that stage four bone metastatic cancer that has come from your prostate. They took, of course, the, you know, the biopsies from his prostate. And strangely enough, it was all only in half of his prostate. The other half was fine. So they said, well, no surgery, but what we can do is we'll, we'll put you on hormone therapy. So that's what they did. They put him on hormone therapy and there was two types. He would get what they call a belly shot, which was a time release capsule. And the hormone therapy, you know, testosterone doesn't just come from your prostate. It also comes from your, um, one of your other glands, the the gland in the brain. (laughs) So they gave him pills, uh, to pick up what the residue that Mm -hmm. the, the actual shot didn't work, you know, pick up. So, they also put him on Sofigo, and that is, um, it's to strengthen the bones um, so that he doesn't break any bones. Uh, the downside of that is you can end up with necrosis, and it makes your bones very, very hard, which he found later in life when he tried to go to the dentist and have dental work done. So he did the hormone therapy, and we came home, and we talked about, you know, one other kind of therapy because, of course, they talk about chemo and radiation. And he saw what it did to his father, and he said, I really don't want to do that. I don't want to end up like my dad. Mm-hmm. And so he, I started doing research, and I did this for ugh, hours and hours and hours every day, um, trying to find alternatives for, you know, the prostate cancer without doing the chemo and radiation. Eventually, I came across the Phoenix Tears group, and I came across Corey and her story, and I told it to Michael, and Michael went, wait, what? And I said, yeah. I said, would that be something you'd want to try? And he's like, sure. So that was how we got into the cannabis oil. He was Michael was gifted um, some cannabis oil, and we got him started on that, and um, we did both suppositories and oral. He did the suppositories during the day because he was still working, and he did his oral at night. The first time he took it, at, <laughs> first time he took it at night, it's three o'clock in the morning. He wakes up. He has to go to the bathroom. He comes back and he gets in bed and starts giggling. <laughs> and Michael, what in God's name are you giggling at? I don't know, but it's funny. And I'm like, you better shut up. I'm trying to go to sleep. That was his first, his very first encounter with cannabis oil was the giggles. And I'm like, great, this is going to be fun. So, you know, he was, he was up for anything. So the suppositories, as butt shots, as I called them back then, I made those up and I used a syringe method because it's, for me, it's easier, it's cleaner, one and done, no mess. You can judge the length, you know, mm-hmm. of the insertion correctly so that it doesn't get high and it doesn't come back out. And so he worked right up until, that was what he kept doing. He would go every three months for his belly shot and his other Zofigo shot. And he kept doing that and he kept working. He worked right up until December of 2016. And he was a journeyman cabinet maker using saws and machinery all day. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, up until then, he was fine. I cleaned up his diet. He ate a lot of fish, a lot of salmon. I made him up um, vegetable smoothies in the morning. That was his breakfast. I made him his own um, electrolytes because in 
Texas. It's very hot. You use a lot of like, you know, sweat. Mm-hmm. So I made him his own um, electrolytes and made a big picture, put it in the fridge. And he, I mean, he wasn't a big sweet fan anyway. Um, once in a while, he would have a craving for maybe for a little piece of cheesecake and I would let him have it. You know, you're going through enough in life with, you know, a cancer diagnosis. You deprive somebody of one little pleasure. It's, it's not good. You know, you have to, you know, be willing to let them have a little treat now and again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What was that, Corey? I just yeah. said balance. It's about balance. Balance, yeah. yeah. It is, very much so. You know, it makes the, the rest of everything going on a little tolerable, you know. So that was, you know, he was kept going and kept going and kept going, and he was he didn't look sick at all. Um, and then in... 2017, um, the his PSA started to kind of rise, and so we said they said we think that you should maybe do a little bit of chemo, and so his chemo was only every three weeks, and it was a very it wasn't a very strong, um, you know, mixture. It was pretty pretty uh, light. So he would do that for maybe two or three times. He wouldn't do the full course. So we'd say, okay, we're going to set you up for 10. Well, maybe after two or three, his PSA would come down. They'd go, okay, I'm taking a break. I'm not doing another, you know, my PSA is back down. And so they go, but, but, but he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Okay. So he would only do two or three and until his PSA come back down. And then he would take a break from the chemo to let his body recover. And he did fine. He didn't lose his hair. He never lost his appetite. He gained weight, which kind of flabbergasted them because they were like, well, you don't know how this works. He's going to lose weight, lose his hair. And I'm like, uh-uh, no, he's not. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm like, uh-uh. You know, so mm-hmm. the next time he went back, he'd gained five pounds. And he looked at me and I went, told you. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a man that would eat two, you know, Thanksgiving dinners, you know, at three squares a day. He was, he never lost his appetite. And well, you, like, had, you had him on oil the whole time, Lynn? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the thing is, it's like, you know, like, Michael, just open your mouth and I'll pour the fridge in. Come on. Really, dude? Mm-hmm. You know, because every time I turned around, he was hungry. And he ate well. He ate very well. And so everything I did was organic, of course, you know. And then I put him on, uh, I came across the colloidal silver. And so I put him on that. So he would drink about four ounces of that every day. And then I did some research and I found that cancer uh, patients that have breast cancer or um, prostate cancer um, are deficient in iodine. So we got some Lugol's iodine and we started him on that. And we built up, you know, maybe do six drops in a little shot glass of water. And then we would just keep building up, building up and building up. And so till he ended up, he had a full dropper in water every day. And so, you know, the, 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 the chemo, I mean, it was just so funny because I'm like, you know, this is not normal. But then again, Michael, you're not normal. So, but anyway, <laughs> later he would start to get some pain in his sacrum. And they decided they were going to do um, a little bit of radiation. And so they did a couple of zaps of that and the pain went away. And he's like, okay, I'm fine now. And he wouldn't do a full course of that either. And it would be months later before he had to do anything else. Because just that little bit, 
you know, just a little bit of shot of radiation just helped things along and the oil took care of the rest. And so, you know, he did exceedingly well. Um, for someone that was given a year, um, you know, he kept going down the third year, fourth year, fifth year. You're not supposed to be here. And, of course, his snappy retort, well, got an appointment. But, you know, <laughs> he well, got an appointment. Um, but he did very well on oil. And, and I'm not saying that it's going to work the same for everyone because no two people are alike. Everybody has different mm-hmm. number of receptors and everything else. But um, it wasn't until May of this year, almost 10 years to the day of his diagnosis, that he passed away. And he had um, a full active life. I mean, he went whitewater rafting and on cruises and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it um, it worked well for him. Yeah. It really did work well. How much, how much oil was he taking a day? How did he do it? And was this multi-strain oil or did you keep changing oils? They, I, you know, I did change up his oil. The, the oil that I, he was gifted was, I was told, was multi-strain. There was a couple or three different strains in there. He would take, you know, he never, ever got up to a gram. His body couldn't handle that. When he got to a point where he's like, okay, I've reached my limit. But the suppositories, when I made them, I made them really, really strong. Um, There was just enough olive oil in there to make it viscous enough to come out the syringe. And so he didn't get any height. So there was probably maybe, um, I want to say maybe two-thirds of a gram um, in the syringes. And the oral amount was maybe, maybe half a gram. That was what he got up to. But, um, yeah, once in a while when he would get used to it, I would change it up. And I actually got oil from somewhere else. And things changed a little bit. You know, they, they, he got a little bit of react, better reaction. reaction. You know, yeah. Now, uh, you grew at your own at one point, did you not? Yes, I did. I did. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, in my house, I had a big 2,000 square foot house, and one of the bedrooms was my studio where I made my crafts and jewelry and sold and all that kind of stuff. So I said, well, you know, his cancer is more important. So I cleaned out and gutted that room. I bought a big gorilla grow tent and put that in there. And I had the lights and I had all the, the carbon filters that, you know, blew outside. So there was not, there was nothing, there was no you know, sent in my house at all. And, and I, your, Lynn, just interject for a minute. This was your first time growing. This, this is something that you'd done in the past. No, this is my first time growing. Okay. This, this is my first time. And so, um, we, you know, we said, okay, let's give this a shot. And so, um, I grew some blue widow and, uh, some white widow and I kind of mixed those two together and I got myself a little distiller and some Everclear alcohol and, you know, watched all the videos and read everything and did, and did it that way. And I made my first oil and it turned out actually pretty good. <laughs> so I was kind of surprised that uh, um, that it worked, but um, because it was, I was nervous at first making it. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was what we used. And, and then, of course, we had other strains. So we mixed it up a little bit, you know. 
And uh, but yeah, it was funny because across the, the behind me in my backyard was was an ex police officer. So I was like, mm, okay. But you know, lobby dams when when you have a loved one that's, that's suffering and you need to make your own medicine. You know, you do what you have to do. That's right. Yeah, and your your dog went along with the plan as well, did he not? Oh God, Piper, my little pothead. Oh geez. He, you know, every <laughs> do tell time us. He, every time he heard the zipper on that tent, he was front and center, sitting there waiting on his little treats of the leaves from the the plants. He <laughs> loved them. He is an absolute little pothead. And then Michael, <laughs> Michael one night had he dropped the capsule. He's in the kitchen and he's taking his capsule and he dropped it. And I'm looking everywhere. I'm like, oh, you know what? It's probably rolled under the stove. I said, just take another one. I said, I'll look for it tomorrow. I go into the living room and there on the carpet is half of the capsule. No. Oh. Uh, and I look around, and there's Piper licking his lips. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, boy, honey, you're you're in for a wild ride tonight, dude. I'm telling you. Yeah, he had a wild ride. It was hysterical. But I wasn't running to the vet to have his stomach pumped because I know it's not going to kill him, you know. But it was just so funny. He was, he was laying in bed, and his little – he kind of – you see his eyes closed and he would kind of nod off and it would be noise and the eyes would fly open and his little head's kind of spinning and then he would collapse down again and then he'd be back up. It was really funny. But by the morning, he was fine. He was absolutely fine. That's a fantastic story. Lynn, yeah. when your husband was given a year to live and he kept going yeah. back for treatment and uh, – the, the he lasted ten years beyond his, uh, I guess, due date. Uh, what did the medical authorities know about his use of cannabis? Nothing. <laughs> oh, okay. No, they they did not know because he was a veteran, and he was treated at the VA. Mm-hmm. And the thing about being treated at the VA, if they know that you are taking anything like that, they will have nothing to do with you. They will re- eject you from the program and uh, not treat you. And so we just didn't say anything. But the thing is, they didn't test for it. Unless they test for it, they're not going to find it. Mm-hmm. And so the only the only test that they were interested in was his PSA and his, you know, his white cells and red cell blood count. And so they, they, you know, they didn't test for it. They didn't care, but they would look at me and I'd just be looking at the ceiling and whistling. And I'm like, you know, well, I don't know what you're doing, but, you know, keep it up. I said, well, I changed his diet and, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I was not going to risk him not getting the other hormone treatment that he was getting and the Zofigo to keep his bones intact. Um, I wasn't going to risk that. So we didn't say anything. But now the, the the thing with the VA, things have changed. Um, they can actually discuss, especially with um, patients who have PTSD, they are allowed to discuss the the option of, um, you know, smoking marijuana, but they cannot prescribe it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, yeah, if you want to do that, that's fine, not a problem, um, but we just can't prescribe it for you. 
So things have changed a little bit and hopefully it'll get better. But yeah. Lynn, if you were talking to somebody who's got a diagnosis of prostate cancer, what would be your recommendations? Like, what are the things that you think were most effective in helping Michael live for 10 years? You know, changing his diet for one thing, okay? Eating clean um, for one thing. Um, I changed all of his, he, he wasn't allowed to drink sodas. He wasn't allowed, it wasn't a sugar man anyway, but... Um, Cutting all that out, he I cut. He, he wasn't a big bread eater, um, but I think for me, things like don't do any over the counter vitamins or supplements because they. Were, I found out they are full of fillers, and so he never did anything like that. You for me, colloidal silver um, is one of the best because that's going to go all through your system. It's going to go, you know, to keep bacteria and infections down um the lugol's iodine um i think also played a part because like i said you know there's a deficiency there um he he wasn't one for for junk food per se once in a while very rarely um he would have something you know quick because if he was working downtown and he wasn't close by he would go and get something but he would get something that was semi-healthy and so diet the oil without a doubt because even through all those years of having his bones look like swiss cheese it never went to his organs it stayed out of his organs that's really odd isn't it yes he had a heart like an ox. His lungs were perfect, even though he was a smoker. Um, there was never anything wrong with his, his lungs. They found there was a little spot that he had on his liver. And they were like, well, we've got to keep an eye on that. Well, throughout all those years, that thing never changed. It never moved. And I'm like, that is probably from his car accident when he was uh, in a pretty crappy car accident. And the seatbelt you know, right across where the liver is. And that's where they think that that came from. It's mm-hmm. like scar tissue or something. So, you know, but it, but the, the one thing that I, um, I found out close to the end, well, a couple of years ago, um, on one of his scans, the big tumor that was in his lower back, they had told him that that just looked like scar tissue now. Wow. And that, and that was the biggest one. I forgot to tell you that, Corey. That was the biggest tumor that started it all. And they said, this tumor just looks like scar tissue now. You know, if people could see his scans, Lynn, and I think uh, Ian's planning to put put up the pictures uh, with this interview. When you look at those scans, you sure don't need to be a doctor to see how riddled he was with cancer. And it's absolutely incredible that he was able to live for 10 years. And might I add, quality life. Um, you know was able to go out and do stuff and um it it was amazing i mean when you look at a scan you would expect him to be in complete and utter agony and breaking bones left right and center no he hardly ever complained ever of being in pain lynn was lynn was he a, a vietnam vet he was in the vietnam era but he he didn't set foot in oh. Vietnam. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, but it was that era. It was that time frame. Um, he was a helicopter pilot in the Navy. Oh, okay. And, and uh, you know, his his joy was, I used to take him surprises. I would take him, you know, for helicopter race for birthdays and things. But he loved working with his hands. He was an amazing uh, journeyman uh, cabinet maker and craftsman. And some of the things that he made were phenomenal. And he loved to work with his hands. And if I, th- I think his saving grace for a lot of it was that he was still able to work. Um, because for a lot of people, they can't, you know, for cancer patients in particular, because they can't work anymore mm-hmm. because they're going through chemo and radiation that is just totally destroying their body. And they are not able to do what they love to do. And so with him, because he didn't do the, the chemo and the radiation, it was strictly the oil and hormone therapy. He was able to still work every day and perform and have a quality of life. And I totally attribute that to the oil. But without a doubt in my mind, it's the oil. Your story about him using the oil for the first time and getting back into bed and starting to giggle reminds me uh i get up early in the morning to feed the cat sometimes mm-hmm. around three thirty or 4 in the morning and uh, sometimes when i've taken cannabis oil i'll get up and uh, the room will be spinning a bit and i think oh my god i'm still high <laughs> and yes. I, I blame Corey for that well, of course <laughs> of course yeah of course. of course there was there was one time that he got up and he was like, um, honey, I'm like, what? He goes, um, I don't like this feeling. And I'm like, did you overdo it on the other way? Uh-huh. And he couldn't hit the room, wouldn't stop spinning and he couldn't get back to sleep. <laughs> so what I did was I got a glass of water and I squeezed lemon juice from a fresh lemon and some of the rinds. And I made him drink that. And within half an hour, he's like, okay, I'm going back to bed. And he was fine. Yeah, the, that, will, that will help counteract the effects. Right. Just some lemon and, lemon juice and water? Yeah, lemon juice and water and a little bit of the rind, the acidity helps to counteract the, the high, that, you know, kind of paranoia, that high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Black, black peppercorns. Black peppercorns, also. yeah. 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 It was, you know, it, I, I, he didn't do any of the, the acetylcholine or anything like that. And I didn't have it handy. And so, you know, the next best thing, which my research found, was the lemon water. And so that's what I gave him, and it worked. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Lynn, we're, we're going to post the, uh, the, the, the scans of uh, right. your husband. Yeah. Can you explain uh, what the scans are? The scans, all of those dark spots um, that are on the scan, mm-hmm. with the exception of the bladder, Okay, that's not that's not cancer because that's where all the dye is. You know, that's where it congregates, so it'll be expelled by your body. Yep. But all those dark spots throughout his skeleton, his bones, down his spine, that is all cancer. Wow. There's there's four pictures. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. There's there's a back and a front. They do back and front, um, and uh, you know, each time because the lighter colored one is the one without the contrast. And then the one on the right-hand side is with the contrast that shows up those tumors in their shining glory. 
So they, they have to have the, it's like when you have an MRI and you get a, you know, contrast um, to show up everything. That's what that is. Only it's called a nuclear dye. Okay. So can you, can you explain the procedure a little bit like you were to Ian before we started recording? Yeah. What, what happens is that they will, he will go in and they will, you know, do a, a quick scan. Okay. And that's what before the dye. Then they will inject him with that dye and he has to walk around and drink a lot of liquid for the next couple of hours and then go back and have the second scan. So the, the dye has to make its way around the whole of your body. And so that's why they make you wait the two hours to drink a lot of liquids. Mm-hmm. And then that's the where the second scan comes in once that dye has gone all through your system. Okay, so the first pictures are without contrast. The second ones are with contrast. Correct. Thank you. Correct. Lynn, what did your husband think and what did he say when he saw the scans? Um, I I think his first words were, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) But but he didn't, you know, a a lot of people would have fallen apart, really, you know. Mm -hmm. And he looks at it and he's like, but, you know, I don't hurt. I don't feel sick, you know. Um, And they're like, well sorry to tell you dude but you know you're very sick and he's like okay well what do we do and so he was he came at it from a very analytical point it wasn't you know he didn't fall apart um he was just kind of oh well you know let's deal with it and that was the way he was you know what what went through your head when you saw the scans when I oh God, what went through mine, I'm like, he's gonna die tomorrow, you know. Yeah. I just, I, I was speechless. Um, I didn't fall apart in front of him. I did my crying in the shower, you know. Um, and you know, the, you have, you have these. You go through the phase of emotions, you know. You go through the shock, and then it's disbelief, and then it's you made a mistake. That's not right. You've made a mistake. That's not it. And then you, you know, you you fall apart. You go do your crying, and then you get angry, and then you put your game face on. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. fine. Let's attack this with everything that we've got. And that's been that's been my, you know, from the very beginning. You know, once I got over the initial shock and everything else, and and uh, I said, nope, nope, nope. You're not dying in a year. Hell no not happening and so i just dived into the computer and did my research to find something else um other than the chemo and the radiation because i saw his dad and what it did to his father and he's like i really don't want to go that way and i said okay well let's do what we can to find out something else an alternative and i was fortunate in the fact that he would try anything I put in front of him. Didn't matter what it was. And I would say, okay, let's try that. Well, what is it? Well, it's colloidal silver. Okay, fine. Well, let's let's do this. What? Lugol's iodine. Oh, okay, fine. Let's, you know, I was lucky. Just I just told him what it was. And I said, this is what re- my researchers found. And he's like, okay, let's go for it. So I was lucky, you know. I mean, some men won't even do suppositories. Um, oh, I know. They, yeah. 
yeah, they will poo-poo that. Oh, you're not putting that up there. No, no. And it's it's embarrassing to them. Um, and they don't want to do that. I mean, a lot of people, a man won't go even for a prostate test, you know, an examination. Let's not be embarrassed to death. No, exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, my brother-in-law, Rick, um, since uh, Charles passed and, 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 you know, his diagnosis, Rick will go once or twice a year to have his PSA checked and, and his prostate checked um, because it, what he saw in his dad scared him to death, you know. And so he, he makes sure that he's tested and checked all the time. Lynn, but, um, I, Lynn, I like your I like your pun that, uh, and I don't know whether you realized it, but you said some men won't even do suppositories; they'll poo-poo suppositories. Yeah, I caught it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as one as one patient said, the Corey, it's an exit, not an entrance. You know, <laughs> I, I I get that. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that women find embarrassing. You know. Um, you know, go try and stick in your legs up in stirrups in the doctor's office for a couple of times, see how you like it. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's, it's not fun. It's not, it's embarrassing. But at the same time, if that's what's going to save your life, why would you not do that? You know? Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's something that takes like five seconds, you know? And I was, and I would make a joke out of it because I'd be standing waving the syringe in front and go bend over, honey, you know. <laughs> and I would make a joke out of it. And he'd be just like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, come on," you know. He would just crack up. And if you, you know, it's like, come on, let's let's just do this, guys. And and you know, if you want to save your life, and you know, suppositories and people that say suppositories don't work, I want to strangle these people. I really want to strangle these people mm-hmm. because. They do work, you know. They do work, Lynn. It's uh, this is a fabulous story because even though your husband died in May of this year, uh, what you did for him, you gave him an extra ten years of life, and I think you're to be commended for that. It's uh, well, you you do what you have to do, you know. I mean, I've heard horror stories of of people who've been diagnosed with cancers and their, pan- their, their partners can't handle it and they leave them, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I'm sorry, but a marriage is a 50, 50. And, you know, if, if someone's hurting, you do what you can, you know, why wouldn't you? And so that was the, you know, I, I'm a fighter. I'm Scottish. Right. So <laughs> I, I enjoy a good fight. I'm like, okay, you want to fight, bring it, you know? So yeah, I, I, that's the way I am. You know, we're hardly stock and we, we don't lay down to, to things like cancer. Um, no, sorry. I got to do what I got to do. And uh, I just didn't, I, I didn't want to see him suffering. I saw what his dad was like. And I'm like, Mm-mm, no, not happening. Sorry. And so I just did what I had to do. And, and that, um, that, that 10 years gave his grandchildren a chance to get to know him, to be at the age where they're going to remember him. You right. know, that in itself was, was such a gift. You know, 10 years was amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He got to, he got to know his grandkids. He got to, you know, they came to visit and, and he got to go visit them and spend time with them. And he, he was a man who loved kids, loved kids. And so, um, yeah, it was, that was a, a gift that he got. And, uh, and I'm glad that I was able to help, you know, make that happen. 
And Lynn so Putman's I, advice to everyone is don't poo-poo suppositories. Lynn, there you go. <laughs> fabulous story, Lynn. Thanks very much. It's good to talk to you again. Yes, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I want to be able to get the word out there. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Lynn, so very much. You're welcome, honey. Talk to you later. And we like to thank Lynn for uh, giving the story about uh, saving her husband. We'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for supporting us and sharing our podcasts with others who would benefit from hearing these testimonials about the healing power of cannabis. And if you'd like to support us, there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can become a monthly supporter for as little as $5 a month on our Patreon page. And or you can make a one-time donation to Cannabis Health Radio through our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and pop-up window will show you how to do that. And we encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Rumble. Uh, we've got all sorts of uh, platforms. We're on Spotify, and share with others who you think may be interested. And also write a review because if you write a review and it's favorable, it helps us move up the pecking order. And we'd also like to thank Ron Zahar for donating his studio to us. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Without Ron, we couldn't do this. And we'd like to thank Mark in Belgium, who posts our podcasts on Rumble and YouTube. We're grateful for your support. We're very grateful for your support. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why isn't the endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.